Beloved congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, there are times in life where we, we might experience a sudden reversal of fortune. Now, to be clear, when I use that word fortune, I'm not talking about luck or chance. There's no such thing as luck. Rather, I'm talking about circumstances or well-being. We might be experiencing difficult circumstances, but suddenly something happens that changes everything for the better. Recently, I came across a news story of a homeless man who had been on the streets for years. In his past, he had been a talented piano player, but life circumstances and bad decisions had him out on the streets. Then one day, he came across a piano a local restaurant had placed right outside its entrance. And this obviously homeless man, scruffy-looking man, started playing beautiful music to the surprise and delight of people passing by. One person took a video, posted that video to social media, and the video subsequently went viral. As, as a result, a crowdfunding program brought in a significant amount of funds to help get this homeless piano player off of the streets. Uh, give him proper addition treatment and back on his feet again. So just a few moments playing the piano changed his life profoundly. Sudden reversal of fortune. Now we have another sudden reversal of fortune in our text, but this one, of course, is so much greater than any other reversal in the history of the world. On Good Friday, Jesus was crucified. The soldiers nailed his hands and his feet to the cross. He suffered the wrath of God for our sins. and Eventually, he breathed his last and he died. This event devastated his followers and all of his loved ones. And yet, Everything suddenly changed on Easter morning. The death Jesus died was not the final word. Christ broke free from death into never-ending life. And so, and as we hope to see this morning from our text, this turned the disciples' profound mourning into exuberant joy. But there's added good news to this particular reversal of fortune. The good news of this reversal is that it can't be turned back again. In every other situation of life, we might experience some good change of circumstances, but we know it could go back again to where it was. But here things are different. With the resurrection of Jesus Christ, there is no going back. The change is permanent. Not only that, but it's reversal from bad to good, not only for the disciples, but also for all of us here who believe in him. So as I preach to you God's word this morning, I will do so under the following theme. The resurrected Christ turns our sorrow into joy. I know we don't have any points listed in the liturgy sheet, but I do have three points this morning. First, we'll look at the sorrow in the garden. Second of all, the resurrected Christ And finally, our joy in the Lord. So first of all, we'll look at the sorrow in the garden. Now, on Easter Sunday, nearly 2,000 years ago, the Lord Jesus, of course, arose from the dead. However, Jesus' disciples and all of his large group of followers never saw it coming. 
Verse 9 of John 20 looms large over this entire passage. As yet, they did not understand the Scripture that he must rise from the dead. And because no one understood that Christ had to rise from the dead, they were uh, devastated by his death. They had followed him for about three years now. They saw his miracles. They delighted in his teaching. And all that was left to do, it seemed, was to enthrone Jesus in Jerusalem like a modern-day Solomon of sorts. And it seemed that things were going that way, too, uh, during the triumphal entry. That's what they thought was, was going to happen. But all of that came crashing down with the crucifixion. While all of Christ's followers were devastated, our text this morning focuses on Mary Magdalene. Now, she pops up again and again in the Gospels in connection with our Savior. The Lord Jesus had driven out seven demons from her. Christ spent time in her home together with her family. Mary's brother Lazarus had been a good friend of Jesus. And back in John 11, Christ raised him from the dead after he was in the tomb for four days. And all these things would have bonded them the Lord Jesus and Mary Magdalene bonded them together quite closely. And so all these things made Jesus' death that much more difficult for Mary. And then when she came to this tomb on this Sunday morning, things got even harder. With the stone rolled away from the entrance to the tomb, it seemed that someone had stolen Christ's body. And that was just too much for Mary to take in. So right here next to the two, Mary is just overcome with exceeding sorrow. Now, one word that stands out in our text is, especially the, the first part of the text, is the word weeping. It gets repeated throughout. Mary stood outside the tomb weeping. <clears throat> she looked into the tomb while she was weeping. <clears throat> The two angels asked her, Woman, why are you weeping? Christ himself asked her, Woman, why are you weeping? This was the reality that Mary lived in with the death of Christ and not understanding his resurrection. And this is the reality of life ever since the fall into sin in the Garden of Eden. Our sin ruined God's good creation. Sin brought in the curse. Sin brought in suffering and sorrow. Of course, sin brought in death. And in this world of sin and death, our hopes can be dashed so easily. Well, let's, let's jump into this perspective of Mary, of Mary for a moment before the Lord Jesus is revealed to her. As yet, she does not know or believe that Jesus rose from the dead. And because of that, all she can see and all she knows are broken dreams and painful realities. And that's what life without the resurrection of Christ is. That's what it is. 
Without the resurrection of the dead, all joy and hope is pushed out. And you know what? Without Jesus' resurrection, that would be our perspective our entire life long. How could we have true joy in life without the resurrection of our Savior? It really would be impossible. Yes, we might have moments of happiness here and there, but in the back of, my, of your mind, you would always know none of this is going to last. None of this happiness I'm experiencing right now is going to last. None of the joy I'm feeling right now is going to last. It's going to end. Whatever joy you do gain in life would all be tempered by the fact that death is approaching. No matter how much money you gain in life, it can't overcome death. No matter how healthy you are right now, it's not going to last forever. No matter how many friends you currently have, eventually they will leave you. And so without the resurrection of Christ, sorrow is the dominant mode of life. In fact, without Christ's resurrection, life even funnels towards sorrow and emptiness. You see, although time heals many wounds, there are some hurts that stick with you your whole life long. And if you live long enough, you're sure to find that out. And there's no getting around that stark reality in, in this life after the fall. And so without Christ's resurrection and If he stays lifeless in the grave, life loses meaning and hope and eventually joy. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15, If there's no resurrection from the dead, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. So imagine for a moment if things were different and our Lord Jesus had stayed in the grave. How would would that affect Mary, Mary Magdalene? She would be left with this entire, uh, this awful feeling her entire life long, thinking to herself, what was the point of this all? What was the point of Jesus' life and all those miracles and all those wonderful words he spoke? Was it all just for nothing? That would be her perspective if Jesus remained in the grave. That would be our perspective too we did not know the resurrection of Christ. Thankfully, things are different, for our Lord Jesus has arisen from the dead. That brings us to our second point, the resurrected Christ. So before she realized that Christ had risen, Mary remained devastated. Of course, we know more than she does. We know that Jesus is alive and that Mary is about to discover this. As Mary continues to cry, she peered into the tomb. She saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. And Mary saw them. The angel said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Mary replied, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. 
Before they have time to speak to her, another word, Mary turned around and saw Jesus standing there. Mary did not know that it was the Lord. His identity is kept hidden from her. And so Christ likewise said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Verse 15 then reads as follows. Mary, supposing him to be the gardener, said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him and I will take him away. Now, even though Jesus' identity is hidden from Mary, we still see hints of redemption in this section, in these descriptions we just read. And both these hints are grounded in Old Testament background. The first one relates to the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant was a box made of acacia wood overlaid with gold. One of the most important features of the Ark was a cover called the Mercy Seat. Attached to this mercy seat were two cherub angels. They were fastened to each end of the mercy seat, one on either end. They faced each other while looking down towards the mercy seat. One reason it was called the mercy seat was because this is where the high priest would sprinkle the blood of the the atonement before the Lord for the forgiveness of Israel's sins. The mercy seat was also referred to the place of propitiation. Now, what what does that mean, place of propitiation? Well, propitiation means the turning aside of wrath. The sacrifice was offered, the blood presented before the Lord on the mercy seat as a propitiation. And through that sacrifice presented on that mercy seat, God's wrath is turned aside from His people. His blessing was turned towards them instead. Now, these details of the mat, of the ark, they're reminiscent of some of the details of our text. See, Scripture sometimes refers to Christ's sacrifice as a sacrifice of propitiation, using the same word as the word used to describe the mercy seat on the ark. And when Mary peers into the tomb, she sees the angels positioned one at the head, one of the feet where Jesus had lain. They're configured much like the cherub angels on top of the ark, with the mercy seat, the place of propitiation between them. And in any case, it's true that Jesus fulfills the meaning of that mercy seat. The sacrifice he offered devastated him, also as we see from this text. He shed his blood all the way to death. That's why he was wrapped up in these linen cloths and buried in this tomb. That's the cost of our sins. It's the cost that Christ paid. He offered the sacrifice of propitiation that forever turned aside God's wrath from us who sinned against him. Because he offered a perfect sacrifice, Christ did not remain dead and devastated by that sacrifice. Instead, he died as a sinless lamb of God, and because he was sinless, he was raised to life again. The second hint of redemption in our text is found in a small detail related to Mary. When Jesus first spoke to her, Mary was kept from seeing who this really was. 
Verse 15 says Mary supposed he was the gardener. And that's because the place where Jesus was laid was in a garden. This harkens back to the end of chapter 19. In fact, it says there, in the place where Jesus was crucified, there was a garden. And in that same garden, there was a new tomb. That's where they laid Jesus. And these details, they bring us back to the very beginning of the Bible. When God created Adam, he placed him in a garden to take care of it. Adam was the gardener of the Garden of Eden. It was also in the garden that Adam fell into sin and ushered in the curse and death. But though the fall into sin happened in a garden, eternal life was likewise obtained in a garden. Now, when you think of Christ's crucifixion, I'm guessing that images of a garden don't readily come to your mind. When you think of Jesus' death, you probably think of just a gruesome picture of a man nailed to a cross, bleeding, and eventually dying. But there it is in John 19, verse 41. In the place where Jesus was crucified, there was a garden. The sin of Adam was undone in this garden. And it's in this garden that Christ was buried. It's here that he was raised and won eternal life for all God's people. That's one reason why Jesus is called the last Adam. When the first Adam failed and brought sin and death to all those united to him, or where the first Adam failed and brought sin and death to all those united to him, the last Adam prevailed and brought righteousness and life to all those united to him by faith. Romans 5 puts it like this. If because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. There's also 1 Corinthians 15. For as by a man came death, Adam, by man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ Shall be made, all shall be made alive. Now, Mary doesn't understand these rich truths from Scripture just yet. In fact, she doesn't even realize it's Jesus standing in front of her. Supposing he was a gardener, she asked, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. And it's at this point that the Lord Jesus made his big reveal. And all he needed to do was speak her name, Mary. And astonished, Mary turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, or teacher. The same Jesus with whom she had spent so much time and had gone through so much with was now speaking to her again. It really was him. Christ really was alive again in the flesh. And all of that incredible heartache that flooded her heart at Jesus' crucifixion suddenly evaporated in a moment. And the good news is that this joy that came with it would be permanent. 
That's because the good news is that Jesus Christ is still alive. Death no longer has mastery over him. He overcame the grave, and so he can never, ever die again. See, Christ has eternal life in the purest sense of the term. He is ongoing, never-ending, perfect immortality. That brings us to our last point. We're going to look at our joy in the Lord. So at seeing her Lord alive again, Mary's joy overflowed. He was really alive. The death of Christ had been her, her worst nightmare. The darkness of that nightmare now gave way to the joyful reality of his life. And that's the great change brought about by Jesus' resurrection. Sure, there were still things that Mary and the others did not understand about Christ and his saving work. And from this point, they're still viewing his work from a sort of earthly, a fleshy point of view. They don't quite understand everything. And so the Lord Jesus offers a gentle correction to Mary, even in this happy moment. He said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I'm ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Now listen to the beautiful words from the lips of the Lord Jesus here. Go to my brothers, he says. I'm ascending to my Father, but also to your Father. I'm ascending to my God, but also to your God. And that's the difference Christ's resurrection makes. You see, we have been raised with Christ, beloved. Scripture gives that message over and over again. We've been raised with Christ. And so we have gained a new status through our resurrected Lord. One example is in from 1 Peter 1 verse 3. Describes this for us when it says, The God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. We've been born again through Jesus' resurrection. And that means we've been reborn as children of God through the saving work of Christ. So now, through faith in Christ, we are part of God's family. That's why Jesus can say to Mary, Go to my brothers. Not just my disciples, my followers, but my brothers. That's who they are. And that's who we are in our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is our older brother. He says, I'm going to your father. And that's your new identity too. God is your father in Jesus Christ through his resurrection. That's also why 1 Peter 1 says we've been born again to an inheritance. Right? Being reborn as children of God means we share in the inheritance of Christ. An inheritance that's safely kept in heaven for us, that no one and nothing can touch. 
And that changes everything for us. You know, before he was crucified, Jesus told his disciples exactly what would happen also in our text. He said in John 16, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice, that is, because of Jesus' death, it will rejoice that Jesus died. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. You have sorrow now, but I will see you again, and your hearts will rejoice, and no one will take your joy from you. And that's because Christ has been raised from the dead. No one can take that away, and we have been raised with him, and no one can take that away. So these words of Jesus are fulfilled in our text with Mary Magdalene. She was filled with sorrow at Christ's death and the apparent theft of his body. She thought she had lost him forever. But now she sees him again, and her heart rejoices. And now the beautiful thing is no one will take this joy from her. War from us. That's how it is with all of Christ's disciples. That's how it is for us too. No one can truly take our joy away from us. That's because eternal life has been won by Christ for us who believe in him. It's an eternal life that's not affected by anything that might happen to you in this world. Again, let me, let me quote 1 Peter 1, how it describes it. God the Father has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. Of course, this doesn't mean that believers never experience sorrow or sadness in this life. In fact, far from it. However, the resurrection has profoundly changed the grief we go through. It means the sadness and the suffering of this life is only temporary. No matter how bad it might get, we know it's going to end when we enter into eternal glory. And in this, we should see a great contrast between those who who know Christ and those who do not. Remember what we looked at in the first point. If Jesus' resurrection did not take place, or if we did not know and believe in his saving work, then our joy could never really and truly be full. It's because we would know the good times would never go on forever. Eventually, we would be faced with death, the stark reality of death. And it would suck away the joy and happiness we might experience in life. But the opposite is now true for you who believe. Because Christ has risen from the dead, because of we, we have this hope, no one can truly take your ultimate joy away. Even when you go through sad and difficult things, as believers we know they will one day come to an end. And they will give way to never-ending joy and eternal life in the presence of God forever. 
That's why the Spirit says through Paul in places like 2 Corinthians 4, the, the, the light and momentary afflictions we face in this life is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. That's what's coming through Christ's resurrection. Remember what Jesus says to Mary here in our text. Go to my brothers and say to them, I'm ascending to my Father and your Father. And that's what he did. And so in this life, we, we might weep like Mary did in our text. In fact, at times we might cry a fountain of tears. But we have this sure promise through Jesus Christ our Lord that God is our Father and one day he will wipe every tear from our eyes. Amen. Let us now respond to the preaching of God's word by singing uh, hymn 32, all four stanzas. <laughs>